There we go. Ah, praise God. Thank you, AJ. Uh, actually, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, AJ, for making sure I had this lapel, because you know I don't like carrying that thing around that I'm supposed to carry around. But I'd have my hands free. But So thank you all. I can get this thing back in my pocket. <coughs> um, four weeks ago, and two day, three days, to be exact. Um, I, I was at home at night, and uh, everybody had gone to bed a few minutes before me. My wife had retired, Maddie had gone to bed, and I was out in the kitchen putting a few things away, and um, the world started spinning <laughs> in this absolute crazy spin that I had never experienced before, not even in college. Um, and uh, my stomach started to get queasy, nauseous, and then in trouble. And uh, so I, I was out in the kitchen. I went a few feet into the, the half bath in there and sat down and closed my eyes. And the world kept spinning, but not quite as bad. Uh, if I attempted to move, which I did several times, and the, uh, the toilet paper holder was a victim, um, I had to stop moving. And it got to the point where I couldn't even open my eyes, because if I opened my eyes, the spinning was just uh, ridiculous. And um, so my phone was nearby, but I couldn't get to it. It was just too hard. And so I sat there with the world spinning around me uh, for about three or four hours uh, until I got very, very sore sitting there and thought, I've got to do something. And the spinning didn't slow down. Maybe it went down a half of a percent. And so I was able to slide down onto the bathroom floor on my back and spend the rest of the night laying on my back on the bathroom floor uh, knowing that at 6, 6.30, my wife would realize I wasn't in bed and come looking for me, which she did. And uh, she called for me, and I said, honey, I need help. She asked what was going on and so on. So she said, open the door. I said, I can't. I can't move. My feet are you know, up against the door. I can't move. And so she went, grabbed some clothes, and came out and said, here, put these on. And um, I said, honey, I'm dressed. You know, I'm fine. I'll be okay. She says, well, open the door. <laughs> so I finally managed to maneuver around, open the door, and she came in and took one look at me and uh, said, you're going to the emergency room. And to my surprise, I said, okay. So uh, off we went to the emergency room for hours, and then I got admitted to the hospital for a total of three days. Um, had 
so many tests I can't remember them. I had two CAT scans, an MRI, uh, two ECGs, one with a bubble test, which you've probably never heard of. I'd never heard of until then. Uh, blood tests. And rest? No. They check on you every four hours. So they come in and wake you up and say, are you okay? And you want to say, well, I was till you woke me up. But then they take, you know, they do your temperature. They've got needles sticking into me and uh, all of that. And um, it was, it was not fun. You know, one of my thoughts was, you know, God, this is not me. You know, I got three siblings. I'm the healthy one. I'm the youthful one. I mean, it's God's blessing. Nothing I did. I'm, I'm going on 70. Do I look 70? No. People tell me no. That's a gift from God. I know that. I'm healthy. I'm strong. I'm the healthy one, God. What is this? This is not fun. I don't like this, any of this. No, I don't want sympathy. <laughs> I'm telling you a story to go to a story in here, and it might even touch your story at some point this morning. I hope so. Um, the upshot of that is, um, well, one of the biggest concerns I had was that we were scheduled to go on vacation a week later. And um, let me tell you about this vacation. We'd gone, Rochelle and I had gone on vacations for several years, about six years in a row, after never having gone on one, she got the franchise that she owns, and she's done so well that one or other of her vendors sends us, like a number of the other franchisees, on a vacation. All expenses paid. We've gone to places in the world I never thought I'd see before. Went to China and Hong Kong and Prague and London and, and um, where else? Um, Port, Puerto Rico, Italy. Yeah, Barcelona and places that... God had said years ago, you're going to go see the world. And I'm, you know, in the prophetic word, and I'm, I'm standing here high and holy and rolling my eyes. And he did it. And, um, but then COVID came along and no vacation. So we had to, you know, we had to forget that one. And that one was Jerusalem. That would have been nice. So this year, a week later, we're scheduled to go on vacation. We had to, we had to miss Jerusalem um, instead of Jerusalem. We, had, we have a timeshare, and um, it was set for Orlando because we love Disney World. And at some point, we said, is this really where we want to go in COVID into a crowd of a, you know, amusement park or two? Maybe not. So we canceled that. Uh, I set up a kind of a, a holding place to go for us to go to. Myrtle Beach, okay, not a bad consolation prize. And then uh, later on, I went online and I filled in the actual place. She says, let's go to the mountains. Let's go to a quiet place. Okay, I look around. Tennessee is not possible. So I set up a reservation for Vermont. Vermont in the fall, you know, colors, awesome, perfect, yeah. And so I called him up and said, I want to change that Myrtle Beach. He says, what Myrtle Beach? I said, I've got the, you know, I've got the, the actual email that confirms it. It says, sir, you are a no-show. <laughs> that, was, that was last month. And so, I mean, basically, that's a sob story to say I threw away 100,000 points and a couple hundred bucks. And so I swallow all that. And we set up Vermont. And it's like, okay, God, this is at least like Bill, you just said it was perfect. We go to Vermont. It wasn't perfect. 
<laughs> the first three day days, she's beauty and I'm the beast, you know? I mean, I'm picking at her. I am just, um, I'm not Mark. At least I'm not the Mark you know. You know, I'm the real Mark out there. <laughs> you know, the one, the one that doesn't shine and, and, you know, bless everybody sometimes, at least not her. And after three days, my dear wife says to me, uh, she wakes up, after about three and a half days, she wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going home. <laughs> so um, she didn't, thank God. I had the sense to shut my mouth and just kind of uh, let her ease on into the rest of the day. And at some point, I did what all wise husbands do, and I apologized from the heart and asked her to forgive me and told her that I'd try to be better, which I wasn't. Well, I was for a little while, and then we got home, and I wasn't again. But at least through the rest of the time, it was bearable. We had a little bit of fun. Um, you know, by the way, there's a pancake place in Montpelier that does not serve pancakes. <laughs> and they greeted us at the door with that. Just want to tell you that we do not serve pancakes here. Okay, I won't go back to Montpelier. But um, there was a couple of good things, fun things we did. Uh, but by then... All the colors of Vermont were turning brown. It was prettier back in Williamsburg than it was in Vermont. But I'm not just up here griping, though it may seem so. It felt good. Um, but the truth is, I was just, is it okay to say by the pulpit, a jerk? I think so, isn't it? I was just a jerk, but she was very forgiving. And um, so um, part of it, the other part of it was, from then until this morning, this moment, I've been experiencing all of these side effects or after effects. And I don't know whether they're after effects or side effects of the world turning or the three very strong medications that they put me on. And it got to the point, you know, I wrote them, I, I looked them up, I wrote out the side effects, and it's like, well, no wonder I'm still miserable. Uh, because if the vertigo, and by the way, one of the, I, I saw attending. I saw plenty of nurses. Um, I saw a neurologist in hospital. I saw a car cardiologist. I have um, since then two physical therapies appointment, appointments each week. I have two clinic appointments to check my blood level, level of one of those medications. Um, it's been lots of fun. And um, I don't know what is the after effects of the vertigo or where I was going with all that is they told me I'd had a minor stroke. And which once again, it's like, you know, what's with this God? You know, this is not my life. This is not Mark Standard. It's not who I am. You know, where are you, by the way? And um, I wouldn't admit that except maybe up here for a moment. Um, but it wasn't a great time. Uh, there was a night. I woke up, I'm wearing this 30-day heart monitor in here, taped to my, my chest, and something goes wrong with it, or it's, you know, I'm just not very friendly with any kind of electronics. And it, it went off about four times in one night up in Vermont. That may have been the night when she woke up and said, I'm going home. Um, but I'm still wearing the monitor. I still have some of the side effects. I can't figure out if it was the vertigo, the stroke, or if it's just the side effects of this, that, or the other medication. 
because, you know, if you look all those up, you can go crazy because you know how bad off you are or think you do. Um, so the picture here is of less than a fun time in my life, right? What's in my heart to do? Come on, you know, I want to serve God, right? I want to know God. I want to serve God. How many times have I said, God, I want fruit from my life, that whatever prayer I've told you about, whatever it takes by my life or my death, my sickness or health, success or failure, you know, whatever it takes, God, to get me to the place where you can get the most fruit from my life and the most glory to your name and the, the most good to your kingdom, you do it. P.S. When I start kicking and screaming and saying, stop, don't listen to that prayer, just remember this one. Guess what? God remembers. And so, as any human being, or maybe some of you, I still get to the point where I am the beast, and I say, God, what's with this? Where are you? What are you doing? I don't like this. Very funny, God. Very funny. Um, I would like you to meet or re-meet a very good friend of mine. <laughs> Her name's Hagar. And so turn to Genesis 16. And we're going to read the story of Hagar. Maybe in a new way today. Um, I've read this, I don't know, 10, 15 times in the past couple of weeks. Every time God shows me something different, shows me something more about where I've been, where I am, and more importantly, who he is. <clears throat> There's several people in this chapter. The side characters are Abram and Sarai. <laughs> to me, the main character is Hagar. And we're going to look at these three, um, maybe Abram and Sarai for a minute, mostly Hagar and um, Maybe I don't have to convince any of you that now and then you get in the place of Hagar. Or you get in the place of Mark Standard. Very funny, God. I don't like this. Where are you? Oh, by the way, just another, you know, just to show you I'm not the only one in the world. My good friend Roy I was meeting with not too long ago, and I asked him, how are you doing? He said, well, funny you should ask. We've been without water in our home for five days. <laughs> um, he said, this is, it's kind of become a pattern. This is the third November in three years that we've had pipes fail in my home. Last year, we had to kind of, you know, just go the whole nine yards and not just replace a couple of pipes. We replaced every pipe in our house. He said, and this, you know, a few days ago, I went down to my basement. I see a little puddle on the floor, and I get real quiet, and I hear this. He says, I know that noise. And um, sure enough, they come in, they tear his wall apart. And eventually, the water company, this was like a Friday. He couldn't get anybody to come out until Monday. So that's fun, right? Um, so they, they come out and they tear his driveway apart. It's just dug up with this trench digging uh, piece of equipment. And they discovered that this came from outside the house and his pipe. So now the only thing that can be replaced has to be replaced from the house to the street. 
And it took five days for them to put in a little, little feeder tube. You know what I'm talking about. A little feeder tube of water so they could have a little bit of water. And for five days, um, he was taking showers at work. I don't know where his wife was taking a shower. Um, I don't know if he does, but he said he was going to the store every day to get gallons of water um, and to use the bathroom and um, take the water home and boil it so he could do dishes, um, it, you know, wash his hands, do things to cook, things like that. Uh, water is a tough thing to be without. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, he didn't gripe much, but I was wondering, is he in that place of, you know, this is not what I'm about, God. This is not fun. You know, I work with social services with uh, the, the less fortunate people in this world five days a week, and I pastor a church the other two and in between. I don't have any free time, but my heart's yours. My life is yours. I give every day, every moment of every day to you. And uh, I just want fruit for my life, and this is not fruit for my life. Where can you possibly get, in, get fruit from three Novembers of broken pipes and no water? How can that glorify you possibly? There's another Hagar right there. Um, any other Hagars in here? You don't have to answer. There may be one or two. But let's start with uh, in chapter 16. And we're going to look at all three of these. It's a, this is a cast of characters, I'm telling you. This is a real cast of characters, if you look at it. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Ah, but she had an Egyptian slave. <laughs> this is already interesting. She'd borne him no children, but they've got this Egyptian slave. This is not a good start. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. I'll give you a little sneak preview here. Hagar, you know, one of the things God had me do in studying this is he had me study the names of the people and the places in this chapter. They're amazing. You know what Hagar means? Hagar, no, I'm sorry, not Hagar, Sarai. My mistake. Sarai, if you look it up, one of the meanings is princess. And then Sarah, when her name is changed, means my princess. But if you little, look a little further than that, another interpretation of her name is um, flight. Uh, wait a minute. Let me make sure that's the right one. Oh, not flight. That's Hagar. It means uh, contentious or quarrelsome. So she certainly lives up to her name here. Um, where do we have a problem? We have a problem already. Perhaps God hasn't, but maybe I can. <laughs> have you ever said that? They have waited 10 years for a son who God promised. And she's waited 10 years. I waited, what, two years for a vacation? And they waited 10 years for a son, an heir. And Sarai is saying, God hasn't. Maybe I can. Maybe God's just needing a little help here. 
You ever given God a little bit of help? Probably more times than you realize. Have you ever forced anything? You ever made something happen instead of waiting on the Lord? Um, it usually does not turn out good. What do we force? You ever force, I mean, our worship is awesome, isn't it? We just experienced it. You ever been in a service or in a church where somebody forced it? And it was more emotion than it was God or the Holy Spirit? You ever seen that forced? Um, have you ever seen an activity, <clears throat> a program, even a good one, meant to serve the Lord that was somebody's good idea instead of led by the Holy Spirit, both in terms of what and when? That's another disaster waiting to happen. You ever forced your words instead of listening? Have you ever rushed ahead on anything instead of listening to God and waiting on God's answer? You know, he doesn't, he doesn't give you an answer right away, always, does he? Randy just was telling me this morning, he's reminding me of what I said, I think it was last week, that God's always speaking, we're just not always hearing or listening. It's kind of like a radio, you know, the waves are always out there, but we might have ours turned off. And... Um, if we come up with a good idea that's not inspired by the Holy Spirit, sometimes uh, that doesn't work out so well. And I'll tell you this. I, I see a few principles along the way, and I'm going to get to the main thing in just a minute. But there's, there's enough really good nuggets in here that I want to point them out to you. One of them is, and some of you know, that if we proceed without God, he lets us, doesn't he? He lets us proceed without him. You ever proceeded without God? Sometimes we try to help God because he needs our help. Beware of helping God. I've helped God and um, wasn't usually very helpful. Um, <clears throat> in fact, it was just not really good fruit. So Sarai nudges God along and says to uh, Abram, Here, I have this Egyptian slave. Take her. Maybe I can build, maybe I can build a family through her. Well, <laughs> let's look at Hagar for just a minute. What do you know about Hagar from just what I read? Where'd she come from? Egypt. And she is a, a slave. She was bought and paid for. <laughs> She's bought and paid for, dragged out of her home, dragged away from her country in a brand new country where she doesn't know anybody and she's a slave. She doesn't have any freedom. She has opinions. She can't voice them. She can't make her own decisions. She probably would like her own family, wouldn't you think? She can't have her own family. She has to serve this woman who's of a different faith, a different country, no relationship to her except to be her master. And every whim of her master is her command. And so... Um, to top it off, she becomes an object. Here, you take her and sleep with her, and we'll create a family that way. I don't know if I ever thought about that one, but she's probably a young woman. Um, Abram, Abram by now is, what, 90? And so um, that's not a great prospect. She's manipulated. She's used. She just becomes an object. And then... 
after it works, Sarai is mad at her, right? She's not happy with the outcome. In fact, she's, she's very unpleased. And um, she treats her, it doesn't say how harshly Sarai treats Hagar, but um, if what I told you before isn't bad enough, the treatment she gets now is enough to make her run for the hills. And so she leaves and she goes on the road. She takes a road trip here. Let's read a little further. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Okay, let's stop for a minute. Here's Abram, the other cast, the other member of the cast of characters. Is Abraham being the father of faith here? Is he being the righteous one who believed God? What's Abram doing? All right, I'll do that. Just get off my back. All right, I'm taking a pass on this one. I'll do what you say, okay? Yeah, I waited 10 years. Um, I just saved Lot and his whole family. I took, three, what, 325 of our men and went out and beat five kings by faith. Um, I took the land that God promised me. I've lived in it for 10 years. And then I was, then we divided it up and I gave the best half to Lot because I believe God would give me blessing in the other half. He's gone through all of this. He's received the promise of God to raise up um, children that would be countless, as countless as the stars. He's done all this and then his wife says, um, God hasn't, so maybe I can. You take this woman and get us a family. Okay, all right, all right. You know, just get off my back. He goes long. He takes a pass, right? He takes a hall pass on this one. So Abram is not being exactly the father of faith or exalted father, which is what his name means at this point. And so he, he does the deed, and it, she becomes pregnant. Um, and it says in the second half of verse 9, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, all right, I'll read it the way it's written, and then I'll give you a little bit of editorial privilege here. You are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. All right. <laughs> I got to wrote out this scene the way I see it. I don't think you mind me reading. She says, all I ever wanted was to give you a child, an heir that you wanted. But no, God doesn't let me all these years. Then he promises you to give you a child. And I go along with that scheme uh, for 10 years. 10 years. For what? <clears throat> kind of like that ridiculous scheme of yours that I went along with to pretend that I was your sister just to keep us out of trouble with uh, Pharaoh. All it ever did was get us kicked out of Egypt and back into the plague, by the way. Um, so finally, after 10 years, I did something. Somebody had to. God wasn't. You weren't. I had to. I did it. And, and it worked, thanks to me. You know, the minute, the minute she and you do what I say to do, bada-bing, she's pregnant. Now she's walking around with this baby bump all over the place, flaunting it at me. You get rid of her. <laughs> I think that's kind of more like what it was, don't you? 
oh, by the way, it's your fault, not mine. This whole thing is your fault. Abraham's like all the rest of us men. He doesn't dare say, what did I do? <laughs> he does say, I did what you told me to do. But you know what? She's in your hands. I'm out of here. This is your thing. This is not my thing. I'm going fishing. <laughs> so then Sarai, she's happy for the first time in a long time. What does she do? She mistreats her. She mistreats her, as I was saying, bad enough that Hagar heads for the hills. Not, not really the hills. It's uh, the, the, the desert. There's a lot in the Bible that happens in the desert, isn't there? <clears throat> we'll get back to that in just a minute. Oh, may the Lord judge between me and you. So he says, your fault. God sees. You're going to get yours, mister. <laughs> she's already judged between the two of them, and she's warning him that God's going to come down on him. You know, the title of this sermon is God Sees. But this is not the God Sees we're talking about, is it? This is Santa Claus. You better watch out. You better not tell. <laughs> better, better be good. Better not. What is it? He knows if you've been sleeping. He knows if you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for heaven's sake. That's the God sees that we sometimes feel, isn't it? <laughs> we think he's up there waiting for us to step out of line so he can correct us. Because God sees, you know, he better not pout. Uh, it's not the God I know. <laughs> I don't think that's the real God either. We're going to see who the real God is that, that sees us. And so, um, the angel of the Lord, verse 7. I think that's where we are. <clears throat> so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. Now, first little aside is, you know who the angel of the Lord is? Hmm? He's the Lord. You can find it in lots of different places in the Bible. Um, Genesis 22, the angel of the Lord appears to Abraham and refers to himself as God in the first person. He appears to Moses in the burning bush, and the voice of the bush is, is God. He refers to himself as God in the first person. These are what they call theophanies. They are an appearance of God in a physical form, sometimes in the form of an angel or a man. It's, it's a precursor of Christ, and some say it's a Christophany, not just a, a, a theophany. It's the appearance of Christ himself ahead of his in, incarnation when he's born. But at any rate, it is God himself. So God says, in the form of the angel, or it appears, or he finds Hagar near a spring in the desert. Well, second little side here was, that, you know what sure means? Sure means well. So, have you ever gotten to a place where Mark got all his medical stuff, or Roy got with five days of no water and broken plumbing for the third time in three years, or put in your circumstances, 
where you said, God, I quit. Or maybe you don't quit. I'm too scared to quit. But it's your move. I'm done. I've had it. In fact, I'm going fishing. I'm going, I'm going somewhere. You know where sure is? You know where that road is? It's on its way back to where? Egypt. Good stuff waiting for her there, isn't it? So she's leaving. Maybe this is a foreign family and a foreign home that she's served for many years, but they've been pretty much good to her. She's the father of faith. She's got a good place to live. But she's chosen because of her circumstances to go back to Egypt. What does Egypt represent? What's there? Sin? Idolatry? Is that a good option? <laughs> no. Have you ever gone back to that? Don't answer. Have you ever gotten so sick of doing the right thing that you say, God, I'm on hold here. Your move, I'm going to do what I want. I have. Or you just do it anyway. You don't want to, but you just do it anyway. Maybe you're miserable. Maybe you're miserable to your wife. Maybe you tantrum or whatever. You go back to something that you left a long time ago. It's not a great place to be. But that's the place where God chooses to meet her. Isn't that wild? We think in our great wisdom that sometimes we're not supposed to have adversity. Right? I know a precious, beautiful, believing sister who lost her mother and best friend less than four hours ago. My, med my medical stuff. Roy's Pikes, the sister's great loss. We think we're not supposed to have adversity, right? Where are you, God? This is me, remember? What does God do? Sometimes he allows us to run into adversity. Sometimes he sends us into adversity. Because he loves us. Sometimes he allows us to run into adversity because that's the only place will stop and listen. Adversity in the Bible is like the desert, isn't it? The wilderness. That's the place where a lot of adversity happened. That's where, um, that's where Abraham was sent. He went out not knowing where he was going. Okay, God, I'll take everybody and I will just harness all my teams and wagons. I'll take all my family, everything I own, and I'll go. Wherever you send me, God says, go. He says, where? He says, go. All right, I'll go. So he leaves his family and everything behind. He goes into the desert. Lots of good stuff happens to Abraham, doesn't it? But usually he has to misplay his hand, doesn't he? He makes his wife lie and pretend that she's his sister and, and things like that. Uh, that's where Moses went with the children of Israel. For how long? 40 years. A lot happened to them in the desert. In 40 years, didn't it? The desert's a place of being purified, and it's a place where you get revelation that you won't get if you're in good times. Good times are from God, but many times the bad times and adversity 
that either we run to or he allows us and sends us to is what teaches us the most and gets us closest to him. Can anybody relate to that? The adversities in my life have taught me more than the blessings. <clears throat> in fact, they were the best blessings. Um, desert was where God gave Moses the uh, Mount Sinai at the foot of the desert, Ten Commandments. There are several deserts in the Bible. One of them is called Negev. A lot happened in the Negev. You know what Negev means? It means dry. Has your life ever felt dry? Mine has. I'll admit that. The desert's the place where we're free from distraction. It's quiet. But it's not real safe, is it? Think of Hagar. How bright was it to run through the desert and hide <laughs> from God? Hide, anyway. What kind of wild animals are in the desert? What's the temperature at night? Freezing, isn't it? What's the temperature in the daytime? Cooking, isn't it? It wasn't too great a decision. You ever made some bad decisions? And God comes along and says to you, has God ever said this to you? Where have you come from and where are you going? Tell me your story. Tell me your problem. And tell me your plan to fix it. And how's that working for you? That's a hard question. Two, two hard questions, isn't it? I've heard him say that. It's kind of like when he asked um, Adam, where are you? And I don't see him going around peeking under all the branches looking for Adam because he doesn't know where Adam is. <laughs> he knows where Adam is. Who does he want to know where Adam is? He wants Adam to know where he is and admit it. Hagar, where have you come from? Where in the world are you going? You lied, Joe. What are you doing here? <laughs> but he doesn't do it to beat Elijah up. He does it so Elijah will acknowledge where he is. And he goes into this yarn, this Mark kind of yarn of, you know where I am. I just killed the 450 prophets of Baal. I just did this incredible miracle of bringing down fire on the, on the sacrifice. I just showed up all of the, the naysayers and the ungodly. Oh, by the way, you know, I prophesied three and a half years ago there wouldn't be rain. Then I prophesied there would be rain. Both happened. Took a big risk on my part, but I'm here to serve you, God. And then what happens? This guy and his wife, they reward me by threatening to kill me. So, yeah, I outran the chariot, what, six miles? Ran 200 or walked 200 miles on one meal. I get to this mountain because, you know what? It's your move. I mean, these people are real, aren't they? Read it with a little attitude, with your attitude. See where you would be when God says, what are you doing here? Where have you been? What are you doing? Where are you going? Where are you? How many times have I heard, Mark, where are you? And I've had to kind of come up with something. The desert's where Elijah heard the still, small voice of God, though, isn't it? After he ran and hid in the cave. You ever run and hide in a cave? I have. Sat right next to Elijah griping and moaning about all I've done for God and how messy and so stupid my life is right now because 
I've done this and that and the other. And what did it amount to? You know, they didn't care. They walked away from you. I put on all those time in their life. Where are they right now? They're in a bar. You know? <clears throat> then, you hear, then you hear the still, small voice of God. The desert where, is where God saw him by a brook, and he sent birds to feed him and bring him water. Isn't that crazy? If he didn't realize that God was with him then, he never would have. The desert's where um, David was chased by Saul to kill him, remember? All David ever did was honor Saul, sing for him, fight for him, defend him. Put up with his abuse. All Saul ever did was try to kill him for it. The deserts where the Spirit led who? Jesus. To be tempted by the devil after he was baptized and after the Holy Spirit came down on him, after Father said, You are my son, whom I love. I am so pleased in you. And then the Holy Spirit led him into the desert. So the desert is quite a place. And so don't despise the desert if you're ever in the desert or if you're in a desert now. It's a very, very significant place in the Bible. It's a very significant place in our lives. It's where we can see our own foolishness and folly, isn't it? Who got you here? Where have you come from, Mark? Who got you here? Me. Um, but unlike us, he doesn't want us to stew in it. He wants to give us direction and correction. And that's what he does here. Go back to your mistress. He said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? He says, Hagar, when he talks to me when I'm in the desert and I'm fuming and stewing and yelling at him and questioning him, and telling him it's your move. You know what he does? He calls me Mark. You ever heard him use your name? Mark. Go back and do that. I love it when I hear him use my name. It's very tender. <clears throat> Go back to Sarah. He gives her direction, doesn't he? And instruction. Submit to her. You know, when you're in the desert, the only thing that's going to help you is if you submit. If you humble yourself before God. And be honest with him. Is Hagar honest? I'm running away from Sarai. What do you think? <laughs> I'm running away from Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit. As we said, the angel added, and here's where it gets real tender. I will increase your descendants so much they will be too numerous to count. You're now pregnant, as you know, and you will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. Wow, that's packed, isn't it? He's just tenderly gotten her attention by using her name. He's giving her, he's given her instruction in what to do. He's given her the path that God has chosen for her, and he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your socks off so much that you will never be able to quantify the blessing. It'll go in your life, through your life, and way beyond your life. You know what I 
I believe that God wants to bless you now. He wants to bless you for the rest of your life with his greatest blessing that is fruit with his relationship with him and fruit from your life. The stuff that you're afraid to ask him for and way beyond your life. I've asked him, God, give me millions before you take me home. Thanks for the stroke, by the way. God, give me millions. You know what I've heard? It may be after your lifetime, Mark. Are you okay with that? You may never know about most of them. Are you okay with that? He speaks tenderly to her about that. He says you're going to name your son God Hears. That's what Ishmael means. I don't know about you, but that would have been enough. That would have melted me. Not just God hears. It's like God hears everything going on, but what does he hear? He says, the Lord has heard of your misery. Not only does he know of her situation, but he knows her heart. He knows her. Do you know that um, Hagar is the first person in the Bible that God has told how to name her child. She's the first one. She's an Egyptian slave. Isn't that incredible? Let's go a little further. I know I'm skipping a few things here, but I think I'm hitting the highlights that I want to. <clears throat> She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lehe Roy. It's still there between Kadesh and Bered. Wow, that thing is packed. I could have started there today and spent my whole time on that. But this will bless you. She's not just the first person in the Bible who God told who to name or how to name her child, but she's the first person in the Bible who gives a name to God. Isn't that crazy? Egyptian slave. And so much misery that she ran away. Doesn't even know God. But she ran away from God's path and his direction for her. She's sitting down resting in this stupid decision to run away and sit in the desert and watch her son die. That's what she thinks. And so now she gives a name to God. What's the name? The God who sees me. And again, it's not just the God who sees everything. Not the God who sees every mistake, every misstep, every sin. He sees me. He sees me. Who, are, who am I? You can take away this body. Not yet. You can take away this body. You can take away my mind. You can take away everything. What's me is my heart. That's me. He sees my heart. He saw Hagar's heart. He sees your heart. I don't know where your heart is this morning. But you can rest assured that he can tell a miserable, rebellious, runaway of an Egyptian slave, I see you, so much that she gives him that name. She doesn't even know she can give a name to God. 
She doesn't even know God, except that he just appeared to her as an angel. And she gives him the first name that anyone is allowed to give her in the Bible. What an incredible revelation. That, my friends, is revelation, isn't it? Revelation is when your heart knows something is real. That's what revelation is. And so she gives this name to God, the God who sees me. And that's why the well is called the well of the living one who sees me. And that well is there. By the way, you know what? In the middle of this desert, right there in the shore, in, in, in a place called Shur or the well, um, God refreshes her, doesn't he? In the middle of her rebellion and running away. He refreshes her. He gives a spring or a well to her that, sh that will sustain her in the middle of her self-imposed misery. <clears throat> I don't want to miss anything important here. As you can imagine, and as I've probably already expressed to you, I got to a place recently, recently where I said this very high and holy prayer, God, this stinks. This just stinks. Or didn't you know that? This is not what I signed up for. Two months ago was my anniversary, my 50th anniversary of giving my life to you. You said, wait a minute, who gave whose life? But 50 years of knowing you, 50 years of walking with you. He says, wait a minute, I dragged you for the first how many? And I'm dragging you still. But it was 50 years. You know that at least 38 or 4 of them I have been in leadership. All that means is I'm saying yes to God. Whatever your will is. Whatever your calling is. God, I want fruit from my life more than I want my life. And when I forget that, you remember it. And if it's possible, remind me of that. And he does. But I keep going and say, where exactly is the fruit for your kingdom right now? You know, in Vermont, in that wonderful, perfect resort, there was no internet and no Wi-Fi. So this blessed 30-day heart monitor that I'm wearing right here in the, in the phone part that sends the message, takes the message and sends it to my cardiologist moment by moment so they could keep track of my heart. Uh, wasn't sending anything. It was sending it out. You know, maybe, I don't know. It just wasn't working. They were, I would have to drive from the resort every morning down the mountain to a place where there was Wi-Fi, Internet, so this thing could send 24 hours of information to let them know whether I'm dead or not. But I still had to wear it. While I'm trying to figure out all these wonderful side effects. God, this stinks. <laughs> um, I might have even said worse than that. Um, kingdom fruit? Where's kingdom fruit here? Or maybe explain that one to me, okay? I don't like my life, God. You ever gotten there? Agar did. Mark Standard got there. You see me? You care about me? You remember me at all? It doesn't look like it. 
Doesn't feel like it. Um, <clears throat> I'm just about finished here. Another conclusion that I drew from this. God sees you. He sees you all the time. He didn't find Hagar. That's just a word, again, that means she knew he saw her. But he never lost track of her. He never loses track of you. He sees your heart right now. He saw the mountaintop you were on about 40 minutes ago when we were worshiping. He, might, he sees maybe the misery that you're in right now. He sees all that stuff in your life, the distractions, the stuff that you hate doing because it keeps you from doing what your heart really wants to do, to bless other people, maybe your family, your neighbors, teach a Bible study. I don't have time to teach a Bible study. i got to do this, 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 and this, and this. God, I would love to do that ministry, but I don't have the, ministry, the money to do that ministry. I gave my life to you. Make it worth something. Guess what? It is worth something. One of the lessons was, Mark, your value to me doesn't depend on your situation. Your value to me has nothing to do with your usefulness. It has nothing to do with the fruit from your life. It has nothing to do with your knowledge of the word, the extent of your ministry, the years of your service, the amount of wisdom or the gifts that you display or the calling on your life. Your value, Mark, has nothing to do with any of those. Remember what I told you a while ago? I don't need you. You're already of the greatest value you could possibly be to me because I paid the highest price ever for you. That's my value. My value is equal to Jesus Christ because that's what he paid for me. It doesn't have anything to do with me having millions to present to him on that day. My reputation, my title, whatever. Those have something that means something to me. I would want them to, but we're working on that. Um, last thing. You know what the four, my second to last thing, you know the most, the four most encouraging words in this whole chapter are to me? Let's go back to verse, um, where is it? Uh -huh. Verse 14. I have now seen the one who sees me. Oh, by the way, not only is she given the privilege of knowing that God sees her, but she's given the incredible privilege and blessing of seeing God. If you don't see God who sees you, all the rest doesn't count, right? He's got to be real to you. And so he did this to this Egyptian slave who had run away. And that's why the well is called Roy. Here's the four most encouraging words to me. It is still there. That spring, that well, that refreshment, the God who sees us is still there. He is still there to this day. He's still there for you. He's still there for me. This isn't just a story. This is a promise. This whole chapter is not just a story 
of three miserable characters and a guy who went to the doctor and a guy who lost his water. This chapter is a promise to you that he sees you. Can I say it anymore? Okay. Um, little epilogue. Where is it still? What are the next, the last four words in that? Between Kadesh and Bered. Okay, God. You get lost in the details sometimes, but that's fine if you want to put a couple more names in there. Guess what? They mean something. I looked them up. Ah, because I'm a great scholar, he told me to, so I did. <laughs> My life, as I've been telling you, is kind of like, Lord, I want to live a purposeful, I want to live a fruitful, and I want to live a holy life. That's what I want. Is that what you want? You want to live a purposeful, fruitful, holy life? I see a lot of nodding. That's what we want. What happens? You ever get sideswiped by life? Like all of these characters that I've been talking about, including me. The more I want to live a purposeful, fruitful, and holy life, the more life attacks me. <laughs> I'm going to live this holy life, but I get pulled back in this storm, this hailstorm of junk that just beats me up. It's just stupid stuff, God. I just get pummeled with life. So yeah, I'm in the middle of this road, sitting by the well, sulking, your move, your move, God, and I'm between Kadesh and Bered. You know what Kadesh means? It means holy. Guess what Bered means? It means hail. You ever feel like you're stuck between wanting to be holy and getting pelted by junk and stupid stuff? And it feels like, okay, God, what's going on? Well, that just describes half of my life. And I bet this describes where you sometimes are. But I'm here today to tell you that God hears you and he sees you and he knows you. I will share this a little bit. I was thinking this morning, I woke up. And I woke up a little bit uneasy because I wasn't sure where I was going to end this. You're probably not sure either, but this is going to end it. Um, I thought, how do I end this, God? Where am I going to end this? And so I'm um, just listening. You know, I'm just praying and listening. You ever trying to hear from God and I fall asleep? <laughs> and so I had this little dream that just a little dream, I'm helping one of my daughters to go through a doorway, and holding the door from behind her, and opening the door so she can go through. And I hear myself say to her, but I also hear this voice behind me say to me, um, I'm still behind you. And then I wake up. I knew it was the voice of the Lord. I'm still here, Mark. I'm still behind you. You know, don't let all of this stuff get in the way, you know. I work all things together for good, and all things give thanks because this is my will for you in Christ Jesus. You may not be able to rejoice in your sufferings, but realize that at some point you will. I'm going to make sense from your life. I'm going to bring fruit from your life. Don't take matters into your own hands, but don't despair. You know, the desert is where God makes sense out of our despair and our desperation. 
and reveals himself to us. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the deserts in our life. Thank you for the slavery of life. All of those demands that just beat up on us like a hailstorm that we gripe about. Thank you that you listen to the griping and don't even account it against us. But because of your great, great love that we will never understand, you, get, you take us into the place of where our heart wants to be. And our heart wants our life to be in the knowledge and the service of God. And I mean really knowing you. We can't get there without revelation. If you don't show up and tell us who you are and that you see us, all it is is words that go to our brain, but it doesn't reach our heart. So I don't know where people are this morning. But God, I pray that you would meet them right in that place in the desert and give them refreshment from your well Give them direction from your life. Tell them that you see them. Not just from my words, but from your heart. Tell them that you're working it all together for good. And that they will come out and that you will complete the work that you began in them. The good work. It's a wonderful work. So let's just stay here for maybe a few seconds, folks. You might want to tell them where you've been and where you're going. But you hear him asking you that. And then just listen. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are good, like we just sang. You're good, good, so good. We give you our lives again today. Whatever you want to make of them, whatever it feels like, whatever it looks like. And we thank you that you see us in Jesus' name. Amen. Check, check. Thank you so much, Mark. How many people enjoyed that? I know I did. Thank you. Thank you very much. I would encourage anyone here today that if uh, you need prayer to stick around, we'd be happy to pray with you. Uh, otherwise, have a great Thanksgiving, everyone, and take a time to